0: We are in the last week of our series called Dig Deep, and um, this is the longest series we've ever done, 12 weeks, uh, except for when we were going through like the book of Matthew and Ephesians and stuff. But uh, what we've been talking about for 12 weeks is we've been trying to figure out who is God? What is God like and we've been talking about this idea of taking false narratives that we might have about God, some things that we might believe about God that aren't true, that maybe we had, have, have had in our belief system since we were very little, or maybe it's something that came new, or maybe we were part of another church and, and they kept drilling this thing, uh, uh, some thoughts about God that really aren't true. And so we've been trying to dismantle some of those false narratives. The other thing we've been trying to do is dismantle false narratives we have about ourselves. And so you might have went, since you were a little kid, be told something about that God will love you more if you do uh, more. Uh, that if you are bad, God is upset and now is kind of turning his back on you and waiting for you to shape up before he'll come and turn back around and, and give you grace or whatever. And so we've been shattering some of those false narratives. We've been talking about the fact that God is good that he's generous, that he's self-sacrificing, that he's trustworthy, that he's uh, life-transforming, that he actually transformed us. We talk about that and that he's love. We talked about all those things. And then what we would do at the end of the service is I'd give you a, um, some homework or an exercise that you were supposed to do during the week. And so one of those exercises was every day, write down as much as you can of what you're thankful for. And that's when God was generous. And so we talked about... That and just kind of coming up with sheets and sheets and sheets of things that you can thank God for. One of the things we did, and they they got progressively harder, at least they did for me. I don't know about you. You guys are probably more spiritual than I am, Um, but... Uh, when we talked about the God is love, one of the exercises we had is when we thought about someone we didn't like, maybe it's our boss, uh, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's uh, someone in your neighborhood, your pastor or whatever. Um, When you thought about that, you would pray this, this very simple prayer, Lord, help me love them like you love them. Help me see them as you see them. And so that was one of the exercises. Another exercise we did was solitude, where you just go off by yourself with you and God and sit and kind of experience God, just you and God. And it's difficult. These things are, these things are difficult. One of the things we did with God as generous is we, we, we were generous. We were just quietly generous. We just donated to something or did something, and we just were just part of that and to experience God in, in that way. And so the whole point of the Dig Deep series is that we would experience the kingdom of God now. That a relationship with Jesus is not just about heaven and hell and where do you go when you die. And we're going to talk about this next week um, at Easter. We're going to um, uh, talk quite a bit about this. It's not just about that. It's about what do you do tomorrow? How do you experience God in the now? How do you experience what Jesus would have for you today? Not just eternity. And so that's what we've been talking about. And we get to wrap it up this morning. And I have another exercise for you. So that's kind of cool. Um, if uh, Living in America, there's some things that Americans do very well. Our culture does very well. Um, and it probably comes very natural to you. And when you're, even when you're very small, this gets ingrained in you very, um, at a very young age. We are told from the time we're very, very small that we, uh, the best thing we can do is consume we do a good job of creating consumers, okay? And so, remember after 9-11, George Bush, what was the thing he said? Go to the mall. Just consume. Get get us back on track. This is kind of who we are as Americans. Consume. Another thing we do is we rate what we've consumed. And so if you've ever gone on Amazon to buy something, uh, we have a blowgun that's coming uh, tomorrow. Um, It's a long story. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to use it in maybe, but I'll try not to use it too much during a sermon. But um, that was on Amazon. And what you do is you look at the you look at how many stars there are. And if you get up to like four and a half, five stars, then you know, this is a pretty good product. And then you look at how many people actually rated it. Because if it's just one person, who knows? But if it's like 500 people, and then it's got four and a half stars, that's, that's a good, that's good. That's a good rating. That's a pretty good thing. I'm going to get that, right? And so that's what we do. We consume and then we rate. And some things get little stars because someone's upset or they don't know how to read instructions or whatever, whatever it is. You get little stars. You'll do this on iTunes if you ever um, buy an app or whatever. You'll, you'll look and you'll see how many stars and how many people rated it. And, you know, should I get it? And so we do that really well in America. The problem is we rate everything. We rate relationships. We rate our cars. We rate our churches. As a matter of fact, um, I went online onto Yelp, and I decided to look at some churches in our neighborhood. Um, Ours gets a very fantastic rating. I just wanted to point that out. Okay, but um, some other churches, not so much. So I, I wanted to read some of these to you. My mom and stepdad were happily married for 11 years. Mom was a non-believer. Stepdad was a believer. But they made things work all this time because, well, love doesn't have boundaries, right? But then my stepdad suddenly started going to, and I, I, I blocked out the name of the church so you wouldn't uh, know about that, a few months ago. And now they're getting divorced. So one star for the church that divorces people, that forces, that drives a wedge between marriages, right? Uh, here, here's another one. This is, this is fantastic. Uh, With all the people here, it's overwhelming. It feels more like a stadium than a church. With services 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 p.m., 5 p.m., 7 p.m., that's a lot of preaching. You know, you don't have to go to all of them, by the way. (laughs) I don't know if this person knew that. It's like, that's a lot of preaching. And it's all the same sermon, right? (laughs) Only got to go to one of them, sister. Okay, And, uh, and parking is a nightmare. Just reaching the parking lot before or after service and you will feel all the goodness drained from those trying to flee the premise. (laughs) Where is the good Lord then? (laughs) Why does everyone look like zombies fighting to break out? No smiles, no excuse me. Don't mind those in front of you. Don't try to follow the flow of traffic and forget courtesy. Two stars for that terrible church. These are a few thoughts after visiting for a month. The church was started a few years ago by a group of Australians. Never trust Australians. That's rule, apparently rule number one. Like, what is that? Okay. And remain strong uh, to those ties today. In other words, they still speak Australian, I guess. They are a friendly and warm group who do take their time to meet you, including the pastor and his wife, who are older than the pics on their website. <laughs> <Right>? Guilty. <laughs> So am I. Okay. It was, uh, it was eight years ago. I had more hair. But this isn't us, by the way. I'm, I'm not Australian. Preaching, teaching, weak at best. Not particularly deep or inspiring. But if you're a new Christian, it's probably okay. Praise and worship was simply terrible because the worship leader honestly just can't carry a tune. And the songs all sounded the same without any melody. Sometimes it sounded so bad it was like someone scratched their nails across a blackboard. We always left mostly feeling worse than when, than when we came in, thinking, Great, we wasted a Sunday morning, and this one we could have stayed home and had another cup of coffee. <laughs> Just all smiles. Okay, uh, next one. I do not take this pastor seriously. Now, I think this one did come from our church. Uh, <laughs> after having met true and devoted men of God, one of them being my fiance, there is no way he can compare. Okay? First of all, I don't want to compare to anyone's fiance. anyway. He just doesn't have the qualities we seek in a cough, humbleness cough. Uh, please go to their website and watch the video of this pastor skateboarding around downtown. I really have no idea what this is about. Okay, so that's that. I don't know who that is either. I visited several times and noticed how big the place was. What I found uh, a little superficial was the rudeness to me when I came in wearing my husband's shirt on a weekday. I was a little low on laundry. This is so helpful. So I wore this shirt, uh, which was baggy on me. A receptionist at the front desk, Jean Vier, took one look (laughs) and thereafter ignored me with a sneery expression, which is not a word, on her face. Some people were still nice, but I felt very uncomfortable. I will not go back. I live down the street from this church, and it's always packed. And I think to myself, is church really that great? I do believe in a God, and I may have lost some of my faith, but I don't feel like some people go to this church for that reason. Uh, I mean, I seen some woman when I was at Vaughn's looking like she was going on a date. Seriously, no kidding, a miniskirt with high hill? Come on, okay? Here's a good one. This one's plus. Uh, this is four stars. Good church. Sermons are straight and to the point with no fluff. I like the large parking area and very large building. Great. Nothing says Jesus like a large parking lot in a large building. <laughs> Is this what the church in North America has become? Just raiding churches, going from church to church. I like this. I didn't like this. Clipboard in hand. Uh, pastor was okay. Worship, I give it a C. Uh, I'll give uh, children's ministry uh, A. Let's see. Okay, put it all together. Divide by the number of units. Okay, great. Uh, C plus. Is that, is that what we've become? Consumers? That just consume church, it just becomes that now listen again i 'm I'm preaching to the choir because you guys don 't do that. I understand that, but it 's Palm Sunday, and I think unless we 're really diligent about this, we can fall into the same trap they fell into on Palm Sunday that one day. We're screaming Hosanna. We got the palm branches. We're ready to do anything for God. And then when he does not meet our expectations, it's time to move on. In Jesus' case, it was time to kill him because he, it didn't work out the way we had planned. This whole Dig Deep series, the whole point of it, the reason we do the, the exercises and the reason we talk about this is to shatter the belief that our life with Christ is to come at, is to, from the standpoint of a consumer. It's to shatter the belief that we need it our way. The whole series, the whole dig deep series, is to understand this. There is a kingdom of heaven that exists now, that we can experience now. There's a joy in the kingdom that we can experience even in the midst of tragedy. There's a peace that we can experience even in the midst of um, situations that are out of our control. That the kingdom of God, as Jesus prayed, may your kingdom, uh, may your will be done, uh, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there is a kingdom now and it can invade your life and it can consume you rather than you being a consumer. And this is what happened on Palm Sunday. There were some expectations. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read the, read the story. Uh, we'll read the Matthew version. There's actually four. Uh, this particular triumphal entry is in all four Gospels. And so if you read all four, you'd get a really full picture of what's happening here. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. <laughs> now that must be kind of scary. You know when we did our nine eight five one, the first uh, we had invited everyone to join us, and we had said we're going to knock on doors. Well, that scared everybody away right you know and i understand that i was scared too um and so we decided not to do that we'll just drop the bags off but even when i'd go up to the door and i just like place the bag there it still kind of made me feel uncomfortable but it was fine and it turned out great but but can you imagine if someone said to you now instead of dropping off a bag go into their driveway and there'll be keys in their car and and just fire that baby up and if anyone asks just say hey my pastor has need of it, and, and it'll be okay. And, and you just drive it into the parking lot, and everything will be awesome. Can you imagine what the disciples... So they walk in, and there's a colt there, and it's like, okay, take it. Steal it. Go. Get, the keys are in it. Fire it up. And, and don't worry. Everything will be cool. It actually happened that way. They, they started untying it, and somebody asked them, hey, what, what's going on? And they're like, the Lord has need of it? And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Good, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So we're going to get back to that in a second. Uh, And so um, untie them and bring them uh, to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. Uh, So try that at home or try that in your neighborhood. And he will send them right away. Now watch. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then this is the prophecy. It's found in uh, Zechariah chapter 9. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. So let me just kind of give you what's going on here. Typically in Jerusalem, at any given time, there'd be about 50,000 people in that that city. Some theologians uh, have estimated that when the Passover came, that there'd be about half a million people in Jerusalem, okay? And, and that number varies because how are you really going to know? But, but anywhere between 250 and half a million people were there. And so here they are. They're all funneling into Jerusalem for the Passover so that they can um, uh, sacrifice their animals and kind of get all their sin kind of worked out with the, with the priests. And at the temple... And so they're all there. I mean, it's just packed. It'd be like Times Square in New York, okay? And so the Romans have beefed up security because they, they, there's been revolts in the past that everyone gets all amped up. You know how crowds are. They all, they all get there. And so the, the Romans are amped up. The, the um, Pharisees, are all amped up because it's a big religious thing, and all these people are coming in from all over, so they get to look, they put on their best robes and all that kind of stuff, and there they are. So, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees, which are uh, these things. You know, um, what happened with these, some of them are dead, and that's because I wasn't gonna do this, but Ajua in staff meeting said she really wanted palm branches. And I said no, and then she got sad, and any time a female gets sad, I spend money. I don't know why, <laughs> but like Lisa's got me super trained, you know, and she's like, uh, I'm like whatever, here, here's my wallet, Get all the credit cards. And so, so we got them, we got 150 of these, and I left them in the back of my car in the heat, so we lost... Um, may they rest in peace, about 50 of them, they got moldy and all jacked up. So, you know, that's me just wasting money. Anyway, uh, but here they are. So if you can picture, they were cutting these down and placing them all on the ground so that the colt would walk on this kind of this path right? And they were taking their, their jackets off and putting them on the ground to give them this path, which I wouldn't, if you're riding any, if there's a donkey or a horse or anything, I wouldn't put my jacket down on the ground because accidents happen, but they were doing that, okay? And so they, they put those things down. And so uh, the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, which as Bob was saying, means God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Because remember, they're coming from all sorts of different places. And they're like, who's this guy? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. This is the Passover. This is like their busiest season. It's, it's, it's East, like Easter for a Protestant church, right? It's just like a big, big deal. And so they've got everything set up for this Passover. All the money changers are there, everything. And Jesus comes in, and this is the second time he did that. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. As a matter of fact, John tells us that they went to Jesus and they said, these these kids are, are, you know, crying out. Tell them to stop. They're essentially worshiping you. Tell them to stop. And Jesus has this famous line. He says, If, I, if they stop, the rocks are going to cry out. Like all of creation's going to herald me king. Because that's who he was. Now, the thing is, Jesus didn't come in like he was supposed to, he was supposed to ride a horse. This is what happened back in that day. As a matter of fact, the Romans, when they would take over a city or take over... Um, if there was more than 5,000 people that they were able to control, uh, then they would have a parade that they'd, they'd have. And this exact same thing would happen. They'd place down palm branches and things, and the, the uh, king or whoever it was in leadership would come in on this big stallion, and they'd go, and all the people who they um, captured would be behind them in chains. And they'd parade them through the city. As a matter of fact, a 100 About 100 years prior to this, there was an uprising from this guy named uh, Judas Maccabee. And uh, it was called the Maccabean Revolt. And they did exactly that. He came in on a horse. It was almost the identical situation. They put down palm branches. But he came to overthrow Rome. And he was squashed. It was this huge uprising. A lot of people died. And this is what they were afraid of with Jesus. This is why when you read in the uh, New Testament about Jesus' ministry, a lot of times people are saying, hey, you better tone it down. Because if the Romans think you're going to ha- ha- start a revolt, they're going to, like I said, just security's beefed up, everything's ready to go. This is, this is what it felt like at that time. This sense of, wow, they knew that Jesus healed people. They knew that he fed the 5,000. All these stories were going around. At that time, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And so every time Lazarus was around, they'd be like, that's the guy who, who was raised from the dead. That's Lazarus. And so there was all this buzz. But Jesus didn't meet their expectations. If they were on Yelp, the first thing would have been five stars. Jesus is amazing. Fed 5,000 people. It's awesome. Then a week later, I need to change my one star. Is there zero stars? Can we do zero stars? He's He's not who we thought he was. Now here's my question at the end of our Dig Deep series. Could we be in danger of that? Could could we be in danger of following Christ and him not meeting our expectations and so we begin to push him away? Could we be in danger of just using Jesus uh, and, and the Bible and church as just consuming and feeling? And if it doesn't work out the way I like, then I'm upset. And when, I'm, when, I, when I like it, then I'm really happy. And, and so um, worship just becomes really just if I'm happy or not. And if I'm happy, it was great worship. And if I'm not happy, it was bad worship. Could we be in danger of that? I think we can. I think I can. I think oftentimes... I'm like those people where I'm putting palm branches down and taking my jacket off and saying, anything, Jesus. And then he says, well, how about this? And I say, anything but that. <laughs> One star for you. <laughs> now, what I want to do is I want to backtrack a little bit and read a section of scripture that I hope uh, sheds some light on this. You know, that, that Zechariah, um, uh, that verse in Zechariah, If they had just read the next verse, it's Zechariah 9.9. If they had read Zechariah 9.10, maybe they would have seen Jesus a little differently. Because they, they were wanting a king to take over Rome. They were wanting their circumstances to change. They wanted to occupy Israel the way God promised that they could occupy Israel with no other government in there. And Jesus didn't do that. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't do a lot of the things they were expecting. Zechariah 9, nine says this, and we read it, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, on the fold of a donkey. Zechariah 9.10 says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. In other words, this is not going to be a military operation. And the war horse is from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was coming to bring peace, a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that isn't about consuming. A kingdom that isn't about what we can get out of it. It's an everlasting kingdom. It's a kingdom of peace and of joy. And so Jesus comes and he, uh, it's different than what he thought. And so I want to go back just a little bit so we can tie this together and tie up the, the uh, dig deep series about, well, what does it mean to, to operate within the kingdom? If it's not Jesus taking care of all of our needs, what is it? We've been touching on this all along. There's a famous story in the Bible, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. You guys remember this story? But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was distracted. See, I, I think Martha is a lot like me, where I want to lay down my cloak and my palm fronds and all that kind of stuff, but then I get distracted by looking around. Remember when Peter stepped out on the water? He was actually walking on water, which we don't give Peter enough credit. That's awesome that he actually did it. He did it for a while until he started sinking. I would have stayed, stayed in the boat. But remember, remember what got him? He started looking at all the different waves and stuff, and then he started to lose his faith, and that's when he said, Jesus, save me, because he was distracted. I think Martha's a lot like me. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and watch this. Look at these expectations. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? Jesus, you're not meeting my expectations. I'm doing all this stuff for you, and you're not meeting my expectations. Don't you care about where I'm at? Have you ever been there with God? Your your circumstances are going, and you start thinking to yourself, man, doesn't doesn't he even care about me? Doesn't he care about my circumstances? And so Martha's there. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Martha, Martha, our our small group on Friday was trying to figure out whether this was like Jesus annoyed, like, Martha, Martha, you know, stop, stop complaining, you whiner, you know. Or if, or if he was just like, you know, Mar- you know, shaking his head and just, Martha, Martha, or, you know, whatever. I, I don't know, I have no idea. I know how he talks to me and he's usually upset. Uh, no, okay. And the Lord said, you are worried and upset about many things. You're distracted, you're, you're getting here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're focused on the wrong kingdom, Martha. You're focused on the wrong kingdom. You want me to be king of the wrong kingdom and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be king of my kingdom. My kingdom come. My will be done. He goes on. But few... Things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it, will be not, and it will not be taken away from her. The reason we end our Dig Deep series with this story is because this sums up pretty much everything we've been talking about. God desperately desires a relationship with you. Right next to you. As a matter of fact. As we talked about last week. God wants to abide in you. He wants to take over. He wants to be king. But not in the way. We often want him to be king. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he's okay. With the process. Taking a long time. You know it's interesting about the triumphal entry. That that particular prophecy about Jesus coming in on the colt was over 500 years old 500 years old if i had to yelp that and rate it i'd be like man he take, jesus takes too long you know like i like jesus and everything but just everything just takes too long 500 years years that is so not me like like once i decide something i just want to do it like w- once i get my mind but god he says you know we're going to have a prophecy and like after 178 years he's just like no not yet 225 years no 317 years no not yet we're going to wait a little bit longer it's like uh. he's okay with waiting his kingdom is different than ours his kingdom is slower than ours His kingdom isn't to be rated like, oh, I I tried this and I tried this and I tried that and I don't like this and I do like that. That's, That's not, he's slow. Now listen, isn't that encouraging? Aren't you happy that God has no problem with your spiritual transformation taking a long time? Aren't you glad that God is like, hey, how long have you been a Christian? What, two years? Oh, my goodness. You, get, you better get it on it. I man. You, you should be way farther along than this. I've, I've been a Christian myself for t- over 25 years. Probably 20, yeah, let's see. It was when I was 30. So, uh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, I'm 50. No, I, I'm kidding. Uh, 26 years I think I've been a believer. Man, shouldn't I be farther along? That's what I think to myself all the time. Come on. God has no problem. With my spiritual development. He wants to be with me. He wants to be part of the process. He can do a prophecy. And have no problem waiting 500 years. For it to be fulfilled. And then after it's fulfilled. He has no problem waiting 2000 years. For some other prophecies to be done. Because he's more interested. In being with you. Than doing something for you. He says few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And Mary's chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Here's our exercise for today, for this week. To slow down. To slow down. I'm, I'm reading a book. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. And, um, so you can kind of, uh, you're going to hate this one. <laughs> Hi, at least I, I do. Um, but like one of the examples they use is take five minutes to go from your living room to your kitchen. <laughs> you know what that looks like? This is exactly what it looks like. It's, 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 it's painful, right? <laughs> and you just kind of go like this. Five minutes? He I just I get a timer. Like, man, I just run back and forth for five five minutes. Just slow down. One of the things they, give you, they tell you to do is drive in the slow lane. What? <sighs> that's, like, that's, like tor- that's like Geneva Convention type torture stuff, man. Drive in the slow lane. Yeah, drive in the slow lane. Just sit in the slow lane. Sit by, behind that lady, you know. Just drive right. Drive in the slow lane. Here's another thing they say. Um, just when you're at the store, let's say you're at Costco, pick the longest line, get in that one in the longest line. Now, now here's the thing. You go, what is wrong with you? It's like, this is not righteousness. It's wisdom. It's practice. It's, I'm going to put myself in a position where I feel uh, that I'm slowing myself down. Why? Because I want to meet God in that slowness. In the five minutes it takes me to get from my living room to my kitchen, I want to meet God there. God, what's happening inside of me right now? Why, why is this so hard for me? Why do I want everything now? Why, why am I always thinking about getting there? Always thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and I'm not present right now. What's happening inside? And here's the thing. God will meet you there. Now look, if you live with somebody, okay, and you, you know, and they're like in the room like this, you know, don't don't be like, hey, what's going on? I'm going into the kitchen. You know, just leave them alone, okay? But this is where we meet God. God is interested not in just taking care of our needs, although He does that. God is interested in being with us, and so this particular exercise gets us to slow down. We don't need it right away. We slow down. We say, God, meet me in the slowness. He has no problem being slow.